Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 182, recorded November Uno, 2014. Right, so we had a big Halloween festivities yesterday and now we're recording some podcast review. Exactly. And Donovan, you were dressed up as multiple comic book heroes. Yes, none Star Trek related, though, unfortunately. No, 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 no. But quite quite a few. So Captain America, Captain America, Flash, Superman, a Ninja Turtle, and what else? Green Lantern? Green Lantern? Was it Green Lantern also? Yeah, there was five of them, so. Yeah, I had a Captain America t-shirt. That's as far as I want. Yes, and when we say dressed up, I was wearing t-shirts of all those superheroes, not any type of real costume. No, but it did make it look like the uniform. So yes. that's the, the way the t-shirt was oriented. Yes, they Complete. gave me a, a t-shirt six-pack on every single one, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, the only way you'll ever get one. Hey, don't say that. <laughs> We're too old otherwise. It's not for any other reason. Anyway. I might get hit by lightning or get bit by a radioactive spider. You never know. I could still get one. Or I may become an alien. It, uh, anything could happen. That one's probably not going to happen. I <laughs> like the other ones might. Anyway. They might. You never know. It's possible. Uh, so, um, so yes. So, and, and and ironically enough, today's day after Halloween, but this podcast will be posted like on Christmas. So, Merry Christmas, everyone. Oh, Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, assuming we don't have any more problems with our website. Yes, hopefully all that's behind us. Yes. So now we're fully functional again, posting on a regular basis and accessible. So, sorry, everybody, for the outage. Right, but we just we thought this was going to be a good chance for you guys to catch up on all the podcasts you missed in the past. In the past, that's or right. relive some some of your favorites. <laughs> can, can you see anybody really having heard all of them and having to go into repeat mode? I don't think so. You don't think so? I don't think so. They're not, they're not sitting there going, you know what? That David's birth story was really good. They had some good comments. I'm going to fire that one back up. No? Well, possibly. Of course, because they were, they were gold. But uh, I meant the part about someone actually having listened to all of them. Uh, okay. Anyway. anyway, so hopefully all that's behind us, and uh, we're good to go. Good. And everybody's having a good Christmas. <laughs> it's so odd to talk about Christmas now. Anyway, so we have a couple unlimited issues to discuss today. We do, but before we do, uh, you know, since this will be two months old by the time we we post this, but uh, I guess we should mention that the VSS Enterprise, uh, Virgin Galactic's uh, second ship, has uh, has had a little accident yesterday. Yeah, so it did crash, killing the pilot and severely injuring a second person. Right. So it's horrible. Yes, it's unfortunate. Uh, but it's a dangerous job. Right. They they were going where no man had gone before, or few. Few. <laughs> I think it's few. Yeah, and so the commercialization of space 
is uh, really important since the governments don't have as much money as they used to. So if we are ever going to get off this mud ball, um, this is, uh, this, these are good developments that private enterprises are uh, trying to capitalize on space also. Right. So, so my condolences <laughs> to, the, uh, to the families of, uh, of those two pilots. Hopefully the one can make it out, make it to, hopefully he's, he's, you know, doing well by the time this episode is posted. Right. Right. So, anyway. So, so it was Enterprise, the name of the, um, was it White Knight? The, well, whatever. Um, so it's good, so it's named Enterprise. So you think they'll start uh, with Enterprise A, B, C? I, I doubt it, but you never know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they named uh, it Enterprise after like the aircraft carrier and other kinds of things. Oh no, uh, HMS he, Enterprise. But you no, know, he said he named it after Star Trek Enterprise. Oh, did he? Branson yeah. said that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, well, he, he should. Said, he and he he said he wanted that one to be the first one that uh, actually took tours into space. Well, then he's got to do an A. That's all there is to it. Yeah, but then. I don't know. That that to me seems a little too. Uh, and it's gonna sound weird because I'm a big geek, but that seems too geeky to to just follow the exact suit of the Star Trek thing. I mean, because you know, by naming his Enterprise, like you said, there are actual aircrafts, and the first space shuttle was named Enterprise, and things like that. So, I mean, there was a president, president. other than Star Trek. Yeah, <clears throat> the, the Enterprise A. Uh, that's only Star Trek, right? I still say, yes, to the best of my knowledge, that is correct. But I still say he should name it Enterprise A. Right. Well, I mean, especially if he says he named it after, uh, you know, the fictional Star Trek one. Right. I mean, anyway, whatever. So let's see what Branson does. And he will do what he wants to because he's a super rich guy. So. Right. So, anyways, well, we'll keep an eye on it and see what, what happens. Cool. So now so, we can talk about comic books. Okay, great, 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 great. So we've got uh, Unlimited number seven, An Infinite Jest, and uh, number eight. I forgot the name of the second, the title of the second one. But. Well, the, the uh, eight has three different stories. So the first one is one long story, and the yep. second one is three smaller stories. Yes. There you go. So, anyways, so the, the first one uh, I think is going to be very interesting because it it, it's an actual crossover between Taz and Next Generation. Exactly. And ergo the uh, nice, simple cover of the issue. Showing a next-gen patch and a... Or next-gen uh, com badge. And a Taz uh, badge. Command badge. Enterprise command badge. Okay. Bravo. Just, I'm just specifying because... Congratulations you know, on it. has a different one. Okay, fine. And I know that, but... Do you? I didn't think it was necessary to go into that level of detail, but congratulations. All right. So you want to just uh, give us a little synopsis there, Ken? Uh, I would love to. So this uh, first one is Unlimited Number 7, An Infinite Jest, published date January 1998. Writers Dan Abnett and Ian Edginton. Penciler Ron Randall and Tom Morgan. Inker is Art Nichols and Scott Hanna. Colors, Kevin Tinsley and Kevin Summers. Letterer, Phil Felix. Paramount, Chip Carter. 
Editor Tim Tuey, Editor-in-Chief Bob Harras. The simple cover presents a black background with two Starfleet badges side by side. One, a second generation, next generation comm badge, and the other, a Taz command patch. Text in the lower right corner says, two starships, two crews, one adventure. The issue opens in an opulent study, complete with a large fireplace with a roaring fire. Q and Trelane are playing three-dimensional chess, but Q is finding the human game boring. Trelane says games are only interesting when the stakes are high. Trelane suggests to play for existence itself. The winner gets to rewrite creation in his own image. Q shudders to think of the reality Trelane's capricious hand would create, but agrees to the contest. Trelane makes the first move. Scene cuts to the year 2371. Riker is making a log entry on launch day of the Enterprise-E, the first Sovereign-class starship. Riker, Troy, Data, and Worf are on the bridge awaiting the captain's arrival to take the ship out of space dock. The turbo lift finally opens. Trelane snaps his fingers. Captain James Tiberius Kirk, dressed in a 24th century Starfleet uniform, steps onto the bridge. The bridge crew recognizes Kirk as their captain. Trelane laughs. Kirk seems temporarily confused and asks for the ship's status. Data reports they are ready to depart at the captain's discretion. Kirk asks for Mr. Sue uh, Helmsman. Take them out. Worf and Riker are surprised by the captain's new catchphrase. Q states he is not surprised Trelane opened with the swaggering Neanderthal Kirk. Q says Kirk will not last in the 24th century. Trelane says Kirk himself could win the contest for him, but with more advanced technology at his disposal, he will have an edge. Q says Picard will need no such crutch. His high principles will triumph every time. Q moves his chess piece on the 3D chessboard. Scene cuts to the original Starship Enterprise that is taking hits on her weakening shields from a Klingon cruiser. Sulu, Spock, and the others are on the bridge, wondering why Captain Picard's orders to return fire have not been given. Finally, Picard orders rotation of the multiphasic shields to... Chekhov asks, multiphasic what? Picard falls back to more basic tactics and orders the ship to be brought about hard, and when facing the Klingon ship to let loose a full volley of photon torpedoes. The Klingons like a schoolyard bully with a bloody nose, turned their tails and ran. Picard orders the ship to escape under warp to put distance between them and the Klingons. Engage! Spock tells Captain Picard they are under orders to chase the Klingon ship out of Federation space. Q freezes the bridge in their places as he appears to tell Picard to get with the program. Picard refuses to play along with yet another of Q's games. Q tells Picard he has no choice. This game is a juvenile confection of his adversary's creation. The stakes are for reality itself. Picard has to rise above his primitive surroundings and be his stubborn, resourceful, heroic self and win. Q tells Picard to prove your worth and find your salvation. Meanwhile, Trelane is telling Kirk how Kirk will win the contest for him. Kirk said he does not know the ship and crew. 
Trelane says he has seen to it they now see Kirk as their captain. Trelane tells Kirk his ship and crew are in the capable hands of a new captain of their own. In fact, call it an exchange program. Kirk finally asks what are they supposed to be winning if this is, not, if this is a contest. Trelane says Kirk will find out soon enough. He tells Kirk that salvation is its own reward and bids Kirk adieu. Kirk sinks into a chair in his new ready room, wondering how he will defeat Trelane again. Deanna enters, asking if she can help. Kirk notices her beauty and tries to make some not-so-subtle moves on her as they respond to a call to the bridge. They enter the bridge and find out from Riker the ship has been transported to an unknown location. Captain Picard is receiving a similar report from Spock, who says they now found themselves in an unknown location. The total lack of stellar objects makes navigation impossible. They appear to be totally alone. Spock corrects himself and says sensors are picking up a planetoid six light years away. The computer is identifying it as Salvation, but that entry was not in the databanks a few moments ago. Picard says to set course for the mystery world. Engage. Chekhov asks Sulu, what is this with this engage thing? Scene shifts to Q, who is crowing that Picard has already cut to the chase. Trelane says it's too early to be claiming victory as he moves another chess piece into place. A 24th century Klingon battlecruiser is plucked out of their current location and moved into the Titan's playing field. They do not know where where they are, but they do pick up an ancient Federation ship on sensors. The captain of the ship, Gauron, orders them to pursue it. Q questions the fairness of pitting Picard and Kirk's flimsy old ship against a much more advanced Klingon ship. It's like cracking a nut with a sledgehammer. Trelane essentially calls Q a big baby. Q reacts by making his move and saying, Two can play at this game. Captain Kang's Klingon cruiser is plucked from the 23rd century and placed in proximity of of salvation. They detect an unknown configuration ship, but identify it as Federation. The angry Kang says to plot a pursuit course. They will pound the truth out of what they are doing here out of that starship's crew. Meanwhile, on the Enterprise-E, Kirk has given the order to head to Salvation, the only place for them to go in this empty, null space. Worf reports an old D-7 Klingon cruiser is approaching them on an intercept course, with weapons charged. Riker questions their sanity. The Enterprise-E can easily defeat an old ship like that one. As the Klingons open fire, Worf yells, 100% shield failure! Q chides Trelane over his overconfidence. Trelane applauds Q's wicked turn of mind, but warns him that he is about to lose his king. Q counters, saying Picard is a thinker. His tiny little gray cells are churning away right now, looking for a way to victory. The much larger and more advanced Klingon ship closes in with confidence on poor Enterprise. Picard says they will use the Klingons' overconfidence to their advantage. The Enterprise lets the Klingon ship get in close, then Picard gives orders for very precise phaser blasts along the seams of the larger vessel's shields. 
the phasers make it through and deal damage to the larger vessel. Picard gives the order to head to salvation. Q is happy as a clan with Picard's unexpected David move against the Klingon Goliath. He says Kirk is not faring so well against the primitive Klingons. Geordi reports that the sabotage that took out their weapons, shields, and main power will take hours to repair. The Klingons are firing at will on the Enterprise-E. Kirk must do something, so he contacts the Klingon captain. The, larger, the large, angry face of Kang fills a huge conference room monitor. Kang recognizes Kirk and tells Kirk to surrender his vessel or die. Kirk plays a bluff by convincing Kang the planetoid ahead has valuable weapons technology that he will only be able to access with Kirk's help in exchange for safe passage. The Klingon attack ends. Meanwhile, in the original Enterprise, Picard is trying to convince Spock and McCoy he is not their captain, but rather a captain from the future who was brought to them by an omnipotent being called Q. Picard is met with skepticism until Spock mind melts with him and knows all. Kirk has an intimate moment with Counselor Troy as he enlists her empathic abilities to convince the crew he is not their captain, and that this is all an elaborate game being played by an omnipotent being. Deanna says it must be Q. Kirk says his name is Trelane. Scene cuts to Trelane in Q's game room. Trelane says the humans are all cheating. Q says, that's humans for you. Put them in a conundrum, and they eventually figure a way out of it. Trelane says he does not care. If they don't play the game fair, then however will there be a winner? The Enterprise and Enterprise E are in orbit around salvation. Both captains and senior staff beam down to the planet at the same time. They meet and compare notes. Trelane shows up first, chastising Kirk for cheating and not playing fair at all. Kirk is first up and tells Trelane there is no game. They won't play. Q says he does like the sound of his own voice, doesn't he? He's almost as much of a pontificator as you, Picard. Picard says this game must end now. Q says honor must be served. There must be a victor. The Klingons beam down ready for a fight, but Kang immediately asks who Trelane and Q are. Kirk and Picard convince them it's those omnipotent beings that have been manipulating the Klingons as well. The Klingons do not take kindly to that at all. Q freezes them and tells Trelane this is simply not working. The humans are simply too contrary. We will have to find another way to settle our disagreement. Trelane agrees, and with a snap of their fingers, they all disappear from salvation and appear back in the correct times and locations when all this started. Kirk and company give the trespassing Klingon ship a pasting. Picard and company take the Enterprise-E out of dry dock for her first adventure. Meanwhile, back in Trelane and Q's game room, a new game is afoot. Q is in all-black Klingon uniform, brandishing a batlith, and says, Shall we? Trelane, with a Kirk wraparound Taz Starfleet uniform on, brandishing a phaser rifle, and a wicked smile says, Ready when you are. Tally-ho! The kids are at play. The end. Yes. So the game continues, but mano e mano. So, did you uh, enjoy... Kirk and Picard switching lives. 
Um, you know, it was fine. It was fine. I think I got a little bit, I think I was a little bit more into what Picard was doing with the Taz crew than what Kirk was doing with the Next Gen crew. But, yeah, it was kind of interesting. I, I think the most interesting thing was at the end, quite frankly, when Trelane is dressed up as Kirk with the, with the classic phaser rifle. That was the best moment for me. <laughs> that last frame? That last frame. I thought that was great. Now, <laughs> and Q dressed up as a Klingon with a Batleth. It was like, okay, that's, that, that, that's cool. But I really thought Trelane dressed up as Kirk was pretty funny. Oh, that's, that, it's a good shot. Yeah. That is funny. No, I, I, I really liked seeing uh, classic Shatner in the, you know, the gray and black um, Next Generation movie uniform. Right. Oh, he looked good in the, in the uniform. That was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, the, as far as the story goes, I was, I was a little disappointed. Yeah. It wasn't, um, no, it, it wasn't the most interesting story overall. But, like, how sometimes happens with some of these comics, it's like they're doing something that, you'd all, that you might have thought about or or think would be kind of cool, like uh, bringing Q and Trelane together, which of course happened in in books and and that kind of thing, but never happened on the screen. Um, right. I think that idea alone is pretty cool. Uh, and then switching Picard and Kirk—that's another idea that's kind of like, oh, that's kind of cool. Right. But, but how good the story actually ends up is kind of meh. Right. Although I must say, I don't remember there being such huge monitors. In the Enterprise E, but maybe there was. Because when Kang comes up there um, in front of Kirk, it's like, that's a huge monitor. Yeah, it's like wall-to-wall, or ceiling-to-floor. Ceiling-to-floor monitor. I don't remember that that ever being on E, Enterprise E, but... Yeah, did they ever show the view screen on E? They had to have. But but isn't that that Kirk in his ready room or something? Oh, yeah, you're right. So I don't remember Picard ever having a monitor that big. In his ready room, <laughs> no. But anyway, whatever. That's it. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- this story just didn't do it for me. I would have yeah. rather seen them team up in a, in a different way. Right. Yeah. It, it definitely could have been better. So something that strikes me after reading the next issue also is, um, and maybe I should hold this. Okay, let, let's wait until the next issue. But I just want to say that how Taws era Klingons are depicted in next-gen time periods is interesting. Okay, so you mean the... Bumpy versus smooth. That they're smooth-headed in the... That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, Kang and Koloth were in... Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, and they had... I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah, so what happened? And that's... Okay, well, let's talk about it now. So, (laughs) but that's the whole thing. There are times when Taw's era Klingons, who are somehow in a next-gen time frame, sometimes they're depicted in smooth foreheads, and sometimes they're depicted with bumpy heads. So it really depends. Uh, and the whole explanation of smooth-headed versus bumpy-headed Klingons, there have, there have been multiple explanations that have come about uh, over time. and And they seem to... 
they all seem to coexist. I mean, there's definitely that one where Brent Spiner was in that episode where he was playing. Uh, what was it? Was it? Was it? Uh, was it the uh, Nunian? Was it Sing? Yeah, it was a, a an earlier some, version of Sing. an early yeah. an earlier version yeah, of Sing. An, an ancestor, right? And then they they've talked about there being two races. I mean, so wasn't there like like some kind of a medical reason they went all bumpy headed? And then right. there was another one that said, "Oh, there were just two races, and you never knew that." Smooth headed versus bumpy headed. They both live on Kronos or whatever. But in this case, there are times when you see Taz. Well, we'll see in the next issue that there is a uh, Kang, uh, is it Kang? Yeah, Kang. So we have Kang who definitely has bumpy heads, uh, bumpy head, Taz era Klingon with the bumpy heads, just like he had in Deep Space Nine. I'm fine with that. But then we have uh, in this issue. Um, the 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 Klingon commander being depicted with a smooth head. So I just find it interesting that uh, there's a, a disconnect there. Right. Well, I mean, because this is Kang. This is Kang, right? So it's the same guy. So yeah. it's Kang from the next gener- or the the original series time frame right. with right. his when he still has a smooth head. Right. And then in by Deep Space Nine, he has the bumpy head. Right. Yeah, I, I like the disconnect because at least it. I you like been, the disconnect. I, I would have been more upset if he had the bumpy head here and he was still supposed to be what? a Taz era. Clinger. I I agree with you a hundred percent. He should be smooth, In, unless you buy into the to the extra competing explanation that some kind of a allergic reaction, you know, made them all bumpy headed or something. Oh, that was one of the. Dr. That was Bashir. one issue. Doctor yeah. Bashir said that. Yeah, that was so a I mean. Cool that 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 is something that would actually explain why sometimes you well, in two issues are two issues today and they're right right next to each other from the same comic book publisher the same series they depict a, a, a Taz area klingon as being smooth headed and the next issue depicted as a bumpy head right and so some kind of incident that happened time wise in between those two time periods would would make more sense with what they're displaying to us Right. But I, I just find that a disconnect that kind of bugs me a little bit. But that's yeah. fine. This is all made-up stuff. Different people are making this stuff up at different times, making different decisions. I understand that. It's just, it's just a little uh, distracting for me. I hear you. I hear you, Ken. I hear you. Um, one of these days when we get around to reading uh, IDW's uh, Klingon... Blood and Honor, I think it's called. Okay. Um, it's it's a mini series, and it gives yet another explanation, which is contrary to the the Star Trek Enterprise explanation as to why they have heads. Right. And it's much more gruesome than than what these these have told us so far. <laughs> okay. Cool. So, but yeah, good. good. I, I, I did think it was funny that both. Both of these issues had Kang in them. Yeah. And at first I was confused because I was thinking that Kang was played by um, the gentleman who played Trelane. No. But uh, that was Koloth. Right. Right. Exactly. Isn't that funny? Yeah, I wish they would have had Koloth as the Klingon here and then it could have been a... Very confusing. He could have been playing two different parts in the same issue. (laughs) Right. Exactly. Yeah, so did you find it ooky at all when uh, Kirk was hitting on Deanna? 
No, he's a red-blooded American, played by a Canadian. Why not? <laughs> oh, that's funny. In the middle of, of the danger that's going on, Kirk still finds time to uh, make the moves, hit on, a, hit on a lovely lady. Oh, you're one of the most beautiful women I have ever met. <laughs> right. Yes. And yeah, and I, it, I loved her comment. That she could tell that he's being very sincere. I mean, is he really being sincere, or is he just that good of a smooth talker? That it's it's all part of the Kirk mojo. It's funny. Yeah, no, it was good. I liked it. I, I thought I, I that didn't bother me. Did it bother you? Well, it bothered me at first when he was first hitting on her, and she was not receptive. She was like, I mean, you could tell she was kind of like, oh, this is ooky. Um, but then later. Yeah, she, you know, she was like going, oh, well, this could be kind of nice. So that was kind of, at the end it was better, but at the beginning it was kind of like, ooh. Right. Yeah, especially that look when Kirk is like looking down at her and stuff. Um, like 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 a sideways, sideways glance or something. Right. It was like, ooh, you're kind of, you're kind of a creep, aren't you? Yeah, and he like puts his arm around her and right. it's kind of like, uh... Yeah, oh, there it is, exactly. I mean, he, So he's got the sly smile thing going, and he's looking at her sideways. I'm looking at the panel now. And she's like, uh, what's your arm doing there? Anyway. Yeah, yeah. it was good. That... <laughs> yeah, okay. So I can see a guy looking at that panel going, yeah, go, Kirk, go. And a lady looking at it going, oh, you're a pig. Anyway. And I agree with both of them. I, I, I would agree more that he's a pig. Than, yeah, exactly. But I mean, but it is fitting with the stereotype of uh, Kirk. what we expect out of Kirk. Exactly. With a 1960s uh, mm, approach to ladies. Yeah, I would have liked it better with Picard when he sees a whore in that short skirt, uh, you know, ask her to go put some pants on or something. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, Ahura, you don't have to wear this. Exactly. <laughs> have, uh, have some self-confidence. Exactly. Or self-esteem, whatever the right, word. Right, right. Anyways. So it was interesting how Chip Carter in the credits was labeled Paramount. He is Paramount. He, he's the guy from Paramount in charge of continuity or something. Watching out for Paramount's best interests or something. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it it is odd that they actually. I mean, we we've kind of speculated that that was his role, right? Um, but here it is. It's it's pretty obvious. That's pretty obvious. They don't actually say it, but they really say it. Anyway. So so Trelane never mentions that he's getting all his powers from the machines and his parents and things like that. So they have him as being just as powerful as Q, with no right. explanation. Well, I mean, he's part of the Q continuum, right? Um, they, they don't say it in here. They they well, only but, said that in other expanded right, universe expanded stuff. universe stuff. But I mean, I think he is. Uh, although, obviously, back in the old days, in the original Square of Gotho script, he although he had Q like powers, right? They tied it to machinery, right? And it, and is that because he's young, or well, actually, really, what the situation is? You know, back in the 60s, uh, whoever wrote this script uh, had one idea, and then obviously Roddenberry in the next-gen time frame 
took the idea and refit it to um, the next gen time frame with Q. So it's I think it was cool that they kind of futzed around a little bit with Trelane and made him a Q continuum member. Right. At least in sub stories. Right. Some stories. Although you will notice at the end, in the last panel where he's dressed up as Kirk, they still have the mirror behind him. Yeah, exactly. Which is very cool. Right. So is that supposed to be his house? He's so he's in Gothos right there? Well, he's got the harpsichord behind him. And he's got the oh, mirror okay. behind him. So I'm guessing yes, but So Q just comes to visit. I I guess. So in, in Q Squared, if I and it's been a years and years and years since I read that Peter David novel, um mm-hmm. I think it it's implied that Q is like supposed to be like Trelane's godfather or the equivalent of godfather <laughs> that he's supposed to kind of be showing him the ropes kind of thing right um so i don't know if that's supposed to be here as well or if they are completely separate yeah well they seem more more um contemporaries they seem right. more on the same level than that so maybe this is q when he's all grown up uh you mean trelane oh trelane when he's all grown up that's what i meant right. to say yeah yeah so perhaps there is consistency there. This is just a later time period. Doubt it. <laughs> Doubt it. Now, as if time makes any difference to these guys. Right. He can just blink anywhere. Yep. Maybe even go to an alternate universe. Oh my gosh. Perhaps like the reboot Star Trek universe. No. Yeah, I was really hoping that they would do a Trelane story in that universe, but they skipped that episode. Well, it doesn't mean they can't. I know, but now, but once you've already established Q, then getting Trelane later is not going to be all that exciting. Well, they could still do it, though. They could do anything. They could. Oh, maybe they can't because Orky's going to use it for Star Trek Three. I don't know, but they could use that anytime they want. I mean, there's all kinds of things from Taz they could re- they could use, and they've made it very clear that they're more than happy to. Right when they reused uh, multiple things from Wrath of Khan in that second reboot movie. They just... They were just inspired by it. They didn't just copy it. Oh, copy it and then just switch roles? Yeah. No, they didn't just do that. It's just playing an homage to... No. Yeah, and I know I know we set, we've covered this before, but yeah. when I realized what they were doing with Kirk dying instead of Spock, it was like, Really? That's what they're doing here? I mean, it was it, in the end, it was okay. It worked. It just seemed like, really? Do you have to? Oh, okay. Yeah, I agree. So it's that, old, that whole thing about, well, you got two paths here. Well, maybe there's more than just two paths. You can either redo things that everybody knows and loves from episodes in the original uh, series, or you can go on totally different paths, and that's okay because, you know, the deck's been reshuffled. Right. Um, so it's interesting where they make decisions about what to reuse and what not to reuse. And I think, I think that decision to reuse the death of uh, Spock, but the, as the death of Kirk, I don't know that that was the best decision. But whatever. Well, and it was reversed so quickly. I mean, when when Spock died in in Star Trek Two, you thought he was dead. Yeah, and he you was weren't dead. expecting him to come back the next the next movie. Right. It actually took. Several movies before he was back. It was it was difficult. 
Right. It Where this thing, this. magic con blood. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I really wonder, and I know, I know we've talked about this too, but are they going to say anything more about some fallout of having the magic con blood? No, I think those two panels in the After Darkness uh, storyline was it. You know, remember there was like right. a couple of random comments Kirk and McCoy made, and then they've never mentioned it again. Right, and you pointed out, well, in actuality, that was a long time ago. They had to do major repairs to the Enterprise. Right. Um, so the whole, that whole conversation didn't make much sense in the comic. But right, so, so speaking of the uh, Into Darkness, since we're really off in the, in the we are. weeds, but uh, they just released a, they re-released the movie on, on Blu-ray with uh, some added footage. Have you? Oh, really? Did you get that? I didn't that? know that. No. Yeah, they, it's a. It's like called the complete collection, and it's uh, Star Trek and Star Trek Into the Darkness. Um, oh, they re-release the two movies yeah. together, okay. right? And supposedly there's more footage, but I don't know if the footage is inserted into the movie itself or if it's just like you know, an option uh, on, on disc three. There's some added scenes. Wow. I just you know, didn't know if you'd if you'd already checked that out. I have not checked that out, but I will. And if all it is is, uh, you know, extras, it's on the extras disc, I, I'm, I'm not as interested. Right. Well, of course I'm interested, but I'm not as. <laughs> I would be if they actually were able to expand the story a bit by including footage that they cut. Right. Because they weren't I mean, short I, movies. I'm, I'm sure that con, that con shower scene needed to be back in there. That does not need to be in there at all. Talk about gratuitous. But thank God they... Uh, they had the uh, the underwear scene. Uh, oh, now, now, now everybody's turning us off. Now, <laughs> I, I'm just saying, is if you can have one gratuitous um, scene like that, I think they made the right choice. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. I think you agree. Oh, of course I agree, because I'm male. Yes. Okay, there you go. But you gotta I got to appeal to all the genders and not just one particular one. <laughs> that would be more fair, but... Exactly. All right. Anything else for this issue? I just wanted to say, hey, look, Men in Black is available on video cassette. Yes, it is. It looks like VHS. It is VHS. There you go. I, I love seeing old things like that that brings memories from the old days. Video cassette cartridges. Oh, my God. Did you have this one? Uh, I didn't have the movie. No. I didn't have that movie on, on VHS. I just remember I used to use VHS a lot when I was in uh, late high school into college. Anyway, memories. I also yeah. had 8-tracks, which gives you an idea of my age. Okay, that's it. So speaking I'm of done. memories on that page, though, yes. uh, I think that the, the World Trade Center Twin Towers is probably a little... Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. A little more emotional impact for me, at least. Yeah, well... Than a video cassette. Well... Which I didn't have even notice it. Full, so. I didn't even notice it. But there it is, right behind, in the background. Yep. Yep. Oh, well. All right, then let's move to the next three. Yes, three stories. That's all part of Star Trek Unlimited number eight. So uh, we'll take tackle them one at a time like we normally do. All right, so this uh, issue came out March of 1998. The cover shows an elderly Sulu with some uh, gray at the temples fighting with a Klingon named Kang. 
bumpy-headed and all. The uh, good Captain Sulu seems to be in a losing battle with Kang as Kang has him pinned down to the ground and he's about to stab him with his Detok Tang, the uh, three-bladed knife that the Klingons use. Standing around these two combatants are four different versions of none other than Captain Kirk. There is the gold-tuniced Captain, along with the gray pajama admiral uniform uh, that he wore in the motion picture. A Wrath of Khan captain uniform and a post-Wrath of Khan admiral uniform. The caption reads, Kang and Sulu battle to the death on the Klingon Day of Honor. So this issue, these three issues, all deal with the Klingon Day of Honor, which we saw depicted in the Star Trek Voyager episode entitled Day of Honor. Alright, so the first story is entitled The Boy. Uh, Abnett and Edkinton are the writers. Steve Pa is the artist. Kevin Tinsley colors. Phil Felix letters. Tim Tui is the principal. And Bob Harris, dean of students. So on Earth, Alexander is being scolded by his teacher. It seems that the young man threw a tantrum when he did not know an answer and a fellow student named Daryl teased him about it. She tells him to find Daryl and apologize. He scowls at her and says, Never. Later, the fuming Alexander finds Daryl on the playground. The boy seems to be in a losing fight between four bullies. The bullies run when they see the Klingon approaching, thinking that Alexander is about to pound Daryl while he's sprawled on the ground. Instead, Alexander apologizes to the pudgy boy and asks the kid why does he make fun of him. Daryl picks up his pocket protector and his glasses and he states that the reason why he makes fun of Alexander is that he did not think Alexander would fight back. And that when they saw that what Daryl could do to Alexander, then the bullies would stop picking on Daryl. So the assumption is, is that the Klingon honor code would prevent Alexander from beating up on a much weaker opponent. Alexander says that he has a different idea. Then we flash to a short montage where Alexander is teaching Daryl some martial arts, and Daryl is helping tutor Alexander. Then one day in the not-too-far future, the bullies try to pick on Daryl again. This time, he is ready, and he takes on all four of them, screaming, Today is a good day to die. Later, Daryl and Alexander are in the teacher's office again. She tells them that the boys have broken bones and that they will be transferring to new schools once they healed. She asks if they have anything to say about it, and both boys howl into the air. Ow! The end. <laughs> Cute little story. Is it? I thought it was. I liked it. Although, I gotta say... I don't remember Alexander being so Klingonish or Klingon-y. Well, this is when he hit puberty and he grew up like 10 years in between uh, well, his, right yeah, before I, his Deep Space Nine role. Sure, and I get that. It's just, I thought it was a more appropriate war story than an Alexander story. Just because when we first uh, see Alexander, and he's like, just a cute little Klingon guy in the makeup, <laughs> uh, it's like he was raised... With his mother, right? I mean, mostly in Federation space, wasn't it? Uh, right. Okay, yeah, she was so, an ambassador. 
Right, exactly. So, I, I and especially the way Alexander was first interacting and, and speaking and stuff, he seemed to have more of a uh, more of a human background. But so, how young was how young was Worf when he was taken by the Roshenkos or taken in by the Roshenkos? I think he was pretty young too, maybe okay. the same age. Okay, but he was raised at least in his very early years in a Klingon colony, right? Right. Okay, so. Um, so he had more of the Klingon stuff burned into him, although I, I guess I don't know how young he was. But So I, I thought the more awkward Klingonish kind of thing, I just thought that was more appropriate for Worf than Alexander. So that, that's my main point. Mm. Right, I could see that. But it was good. I liked it. Yeah, it was cute. I mean, obviously you don't, you know, you're not going to take a little story like this too seriously. Right, Yes. I just I just didn't really care for the end when he's you know, he gets tripped and then he beats him until they go to the hospital. Oh, really? It seemed like a little overkill. Yeah. And, and I don't. I mean, how, how much time has passed? I mean, he he learned how to do a few squats in the in during the <laughs> montage, and then he's able to, you know, beat four kids to a pulp. Well, you know those montage scenes. All <laughs> kinds of time could have passed, but yeah, I agree with you. Anyways, and, and the fact that he's a nerd and that he has. They actually drew like a big giant pocket protector on him and things like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Well, it's it's just trying to be a cute thing. All right. Anyways, uh, that was my only comment. Yeah, I, I thought it was perfectly appropriate. You know, Klingon Day of Honor thing. Uh, normal enemies coming together to fight a common foe. Uh, that That's exactly what happened. Although, quite frankly, those bullies were never a problem for Alexander. No. Because they Dar- weren't stupid Darryl enough to pick on him. <laughs> Daryl was the problem for Alexander. Right, which is good, because they had to be enemies, too. So that was cool. The only bit that wasn't 100% in alignment with the Day of Honor concept, at least my understanding of it, was the fact that the bullies were never an issue for Alexander. Right. Well, I mean, and then the next story would also fall in that category because it seems a little one-sided as far as who who the enemy of who is in this in that one too. Right. Okay. Well, shall we go on to that one? Yes, let's do it. All right. It is entitled "The Warrior." The Warrior. So Abnett and Ed Edkinton are the writers again. Ron Randall is pencils. Randy Elliott inks. Phil Felix letters. Kevin Tinsley, Colors, Tim Tui, Editor, and Bob Harris, Editor-in-Chief. Worf has just crashed his shuttle into maybe a whole jungle planet, we don't know. And he's trying to make his way through the vegetation. He is carrying a small bundle in his arms. In hot pursuit is a band of Klingons that have beamed down to the crash site. They open fire every time they see Worf through the trees. The leader of the Klingons chastises the others for a glancing blow that Worf receives on his shoulder claiming that they could have hit the bundle. A short distance away, Worf takes a breather and examines his shoulders and the bundle. His shoulder is just a little singed from the disruptor blast, and the bundle turns out to be a little baby Klingon. He tells the baby that he has his mother's eyes. He then continues on with his escape, noting that he has no rations, no water, and no other means of escape. But he has to protect the babe. Later, the Klingons are tracking him with a tricorder. Their scans show that he's near a tree, and when they walk by, 
they instead find a phaser rifle set to overload. It explodes and knocks everyone to the ground, but they're not dead. As they're struggling to get back up, Worf leaps from his hiding spot and takes them out one at a time with his batleth and a hand disruptor. Before he's able to take out the leader, he gets stabbed in the back. But while he's being stabbed, he's still able to pull the disruptor around and point it at the Klingon and fire. Injured and bleeding, Worf has won and saved the baby. Suddenly, a transporter brings three more Klingons into the fray. It's one elder Klingon and two warriors. The elder Klingon tells Worf that if he knows what's good for him, he'll hand over his son right now. And he states that the son is from the late Beator, who was one of the lovely Dura sisters that died in Star Trek Generations. Worf weakly points to the place where he had stashed the baby. The elder Klingon states that he's surprised that Worf would risk his life for an enemy's child. Worf tells him that he does not make war on children, and that he would honor the day of honor by rescuing the kidnapped baby of his enemy. They point out that the baby is now the heir of the house of Duras, and they hope that this act will be remembered and that the feud between the Duras and the Moog families will finally be at an end. The end. Worf, you are one heck of a guy. Isn't that nice of him? It is. Especially the Duras sisters. They were really nasty. They were. And so, remind me, which one is Beator? Was she the uh, the smaller one or the more fierce looking one? <laughs> like I know. I have no idea. <laughs> the, the one, yeah. Yeah, one, one looked like the older sister, and then the other one was like the younger, younger hottie. Right. Yeah. So I'm just, I mean, neither one of them ever mentioned that they were mothers. I'm just trying to figure out which one was the mom. Yeah, well, no. And this yeah. little guy is little, so... Could I mean, be the younger one. Could be the older one. We don't know. And where was the baby during Star Trek Generations when she was, the, when she was dying? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. But they're not... You know, Worf isn't with Exa- Alexander for a lot of his life. Maybe Lursa or Bator weren't always having the kid with him. Right, but my point is, is that... How much time had passed between Star Trek Generations and her death and this story? And this thing? Don't know. Because he's wearing a different uniform than he wore in Star Trek Generations. So it didn't happen, like, right after. Right. He's already on Deep Space Nine. Yeah. So your point is, too much time passed. Yeah. I mean, so... For the baby to be a baby. Yes, exactly. A wee baby. This baby should be, like, two or three years old. Yeah. Yeah, Could be. No, no, could be. It, it it's should be. It's one of those points they don't care about. It's just a story. It's entertainment. I, I'm not entertained if I'm if I'm you know forced to believe that this guy is three years old. <laughs> well, it's not three years old. They obviously wanted to be a baby. I so mean, the they, baby was put into. It's a like, baby. He was a, like put a in stasis some sort chamber. Of stasis chamber. Exactly. Does that make you feel better? If they would have mentioned it. <laughs> what ruined it for me? Is the fact that Worf has a mini phaser rifle. That's a handheld one. No, take a look at the design, my friend. No, it's... it's that, yes. that is a phaser... That is a first contact phaser rifle at like uh, 75% size or something. It's just shrunk down. Right. Yeah. For covert missions. Which I think is very cool. I mean, except for being able to bash a Borg on the side of the head. I'd like that size better. That looks cool. 
I mean, you could handle two of those pretty easy. Boom, 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 boom. That'd be cool. Right. Eh, I didn't notice the size difference, but you're right. Yeah, it's like 75% size. Or, But if it was full size, then it could have killed all those Klingons when it exploded. Uh, and not just knocked them to the ground. Well, it should have blown to bits, quite frankly, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's always... Anytime a, a phaser's gone on overload and exploded, it it's... It's a big out. explosion, and, th- and those are normally pistols. Right. This thing's a big old rifle. And all, or actually all, a three all five of these guys were like standing in a circle around it. Hey, what's, yep. why is it hey, moving? what? Ooh, hey, I've never seen that before. <laughs> and they all have like a Daffy Duck post-explosion look on their faces. <laughs> and All their hair is blown back, and they have black face and everything. So. <laughs> and if they had a duck bill, it would be around the back of their head. Yeah, sure and they got a... They got to move it around to the front so they can talk. But then I thought Worf was pretty pretty vicious when he jumps from like basically one to one. I mean, they're not even ready to fight him, and he's just like chopping them up. Well, yeah, there's too many of them. It's a very honorable. He's protecting the wee baby. No, we've already said he's four years old. It's a girl, I think. Oh, is it? I thought it was a boy. Well, look at the face. I mean, I don't know. I guess it could be a boy, but it kind of looks like a girl. How can you tell by a baby? Look at the face. That's a boy's face. That's a girl's face. Come boy's on. Face. Girl's face. Not that it matters. But that looks like, the eyes look like a female, female's eyes. Feminine. How can you tell by a baby? It's a baby. Look at it. It oh, looks like a little baby girl. Anyway, whatever. Moving right. on. Moving on. And really, I... I don't have much to say. I, I, I like I like Worf being the action hero guy protecting the baby. I thought that was good. Right. I'm just glad they had that little tube thing to put the baby in because while he's doing these jumps and stuff. That exactly. A little jarring on the little neck. You ain't kidding. Or when he's running away from them and then they're shooting at him, you'd think maybe the baby could take a hit. But luckily that didn't happen. All right. So can we talk about that? If you get hit by a disruptor, doesn't it pretty much, you know, disrupt you yeah so that's what i thought regardless of where it hits you as opposed to just giving you a flesh wound in the shoulder or whatever took it in the shoulder oh singed my clothes yeah yeah anyways but Worf's taken a shot before and and we had the same argument early oh yeah oh yeah of course i mean since when are are phasers and disruptors you know not going to disintegrate you i don't know well especially disruptors because they don't have a stun setting Ooh. Well, yeah. On stun, a, a Federation phaser, of course, is not going to kill you. But yes, right. I agree. And disruptors are supposed to be nasty devices that give you a very painful death, right? Right. That's right. So that's all I have to say about this one. All right. Well, let's move to the last one. This one is called The Veteran. Dan Abnett and Ian Edkinton are the writers. Tom Morgan Pencils, Scott Hanna Inks, Phil Felix Letters, Kevin Tinsley Colors, Chip Carter, Klingon Warrior, Tim Tui, Klingon Noble, and Bob Harris, What's a Klingon? Let's talk about that real quick. How can you be the editor and not know what a Klingon is? I know. <sighs> Makes me yeah. mad. Yeah, some of, these, some of these cute little names they have going on is like kind of... But it must be true, he doesn't know what a Klingon is. Right? All right. 
Nothing. I was trying I to be funny. I, I think he knows. All right, so this is entitled The Veteran. So it takes place sometime after the launch of the Enterprise B. So after Kirk has died. Uh, Kang has been appointed governor of a Klingon colony. He feels that this is an end of his warrior days, and he wishes to follow up on a rumor that he's heard that his hated enemy, Kirk, did not die on the Enterprise B as it's been rumored. He takes a ship to a planet where it is rumored that Kirk has been seen. He is off on the hunt. Elsewhere on the same planet, at the same time, Captain Sulu beams down from the Excelsior. He is also in search for his former captain and friend. Could there be something to the rumors that both of these people have been hearing? Suddenly, Kang appears and attacks Sulu, thinking that it's Kirk. After a short scuffle, the two are out of breath, and Sulu asks, Why are you attacking me? Kang tells him the story, and the two agree to search for Kirk together. As the hours and maybe days roll by, and the two of them end up having to rely on each other to make it up some cliffs and through the woods, finally, they stand face to face with none other than Captain James T. Kirk. He's wearing his green wraparound tunic from the original series days. Kang, touching the finger with his hand, finds out that it's nothing but a hologram. Then he finds out that the hologram is rigged to a trap. Suddenly, they are targeted by an automated phaser turret. Sulu is distracted when he sees four other Kirks standing nearby, all wearing various uniforms uh, that were once worn by the Shat. While distracted, Sulu takes a hit to the shoulder by one of the turrets, and he goes down. Kang is able to fire and knock out the turret. As Kang turns to check on Sulu, he is struck by a spear. Dazed, he looks up and he sees a giant Gorn towering over him. Before the Gorn can deliver the killing blow, Kang is on his feet and he delivers a knot to the head of the reptilian creature. Unfazed, the Gorn is about to attack again when Sulu stuns him from behind. The two check on the creature and they find out that he is indeed dead. And then they also find the equivalent of a note pinned to him that reads that this Gorn is from the episode The Arena and that he became mentally ill and obsessed with Captain Kirk. Even though they parted as friends back in Star Trek Unlimited number one, the other Gorn dropped him off here on the planet so that he could live out his life in a never-ending hunt with the holographic Kirks. With the holographic Kirks. Sulu and Kang bury the creature and they return to their respective ships. The two have become friends, and they speculate that only the glories worth living are the ones to come from the future, not the ones from the past. The end. Well, that is something. Um, so, wasn't expecting the Gorn to show up. That was a surprise. That was a surprise. Um, I, I, I thought it was... I, I think the story was okay, but I thought thought a lot of it was kind of like forced um just to get kirk on the cover again <laughs> right oh and, I and not just a kirk four kirks well exactly and really do you really need multiple kirks no nope. i mean wouldn't you just need the kirk that was from the time frame 
where they had the original fight. Right. It wouldn't, isn't, wouldn't that be good enough? I think it's totally gratuitous that they have multiple Kirks with the different uniforms. I mean, did the Gorn even know Kirk through those time periods where the uniforms would have made any difference? Nope. Yeah, so. And all, what do the holograms do? Because they, they're, you could put your hands through them, so they're not like, you know, they're not like holodeck holograms where they can exactly. actually fight back. Yeah, they they don't have magic photons that can somehow become uh, tangible. Right, so the Gorn gets too close, and then the turrets start shooting, and then he, what, stabs the Kirk, and then the turret quits working, as if he... If, as if the turret was Kirk, I don't know. I don't. I don't even understand what was going on. Yeah, well, I think the whole idea there were turrets at all was BS. I mean, maybe that was a way to make it make put some risk to your life, where just a holographic image of somebody could never do. But that seems weak. I don't know. Um, it just seems forced. But, right, and then and then oh, I was groaning so bad when he finds. The note, or whatever it was, the, 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 what, what did he find? He found, he found something on him that, that explained that, that this Gorn was sick and this was part of his, you know, uh, last wishes or whatever to be on this never ending hunt. But my goodness, that's so silly. It is silly. It is totally silly. Yeah, so he's so the Gorn is old, and he has although he's still in fan, fantastic shape, right. but um, he's old and kind of uh, got has Alzheimer's or something. I mean, yeah, that's the way I took it. Yeah, yes, and so they pin a note to his clothes, and then he yeah. he dies with one shot of a stun shot. Right. Now oh, whatever. It was all convenient. Okay, he's done. <laughs> you know, he, he served his purpose in the story. Have him die. Right. I always like the Gorn. Um, I think that's a cool creature design. It is, and and, and except, f- okay, I will say that the actual outfit that they used in the in the TV series was really cheesy looking, and you can obviously it was an it was a it was a, a it was a, at least it was better than an average Doctor Who alien outfit of the same time period, but still you could tell it was. Kind of cheesy, but right. uh, but I still like the design. I especially like how they've drawn him here. Right. Yeah, and you know he he's he has full full range of motion and stuff, which I don't think you ever saw with the rubber suit. <laughs> uh, it's funny in the original series uh, where, <laughs> where it tries to uh, take a swing at Kirk. And then he easily just kind of like walks out of the way because he's so <laughs> slow, right? And then he you know tries these judo moves, and the Gorns just stand there. Um, I think it's funny. I think it, it, that was kind of cheesy. It's kind of laughable, quite frankly. But <laughs> but I love that episode. One of my favorite episodes. Yeah, it's a good. Arena's a good one. It's very good. But now we know what happens to that guy. That yes. Gorn. So ultimately, we know what happens to the Gorn, and it's kind of sad. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so can we talk about Day of Honor? Because uh, I, I don't. I mean, is, I, are we supposed to buy that them teaming up to climb that cliff and go through the woods is? Um, well, that the, and the, Gorn. the honor thing. Well, they also fought against the Gorn at the end. Okay, so they fought for each other. So, 
Yeah. Well, Kang, well, be- Kang kept him from killing Sulu the first time, and Sulu kept him from getting killed the, that last time. Yeah, so they were fighting against the Gorn and the automated weaponry. weaponry. Hmm. Plus, there was also a man-versus-nature element to it. Yeah, I just thought it was funny when they fought, and then they're both laying there on the ground, panting. Why are you even fighting me? Because eh, you're, you're a human. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. I, it, it reminded me of like something from like a, you know, Lethal Weapon or something. You know, I'm too old for this. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I must say, one of the bits I like most about this particular issue is the opening shot with um, what Governor Kang. So he's the governor now of a colony or something, right? Pretty cool, colonial governor. Uh, I think he's got great threads. I love his outfit. That's great. Yeah, his outfit's pretty nice. That that jacket with the little multicolored piping or whatever in the front? Very cool. Yeah, it just looks like he's wearing a bow tie. A bow tie? Oh, really? Well, yeah. we get back to that. And it's like a necklace type thing, but it's it reminds you of a bow tie. shaped a little bit like a bow tie right in the front. Right. Let me get back to that again. Oh, yeah, you're right. That does well now that you mention it. It does kind of look like a bow tie. So it's almost like a metallic thing. It looks like gold or something, right? Kind of bow tie with a little thin, uh, like necklace kind of thing holding it in place, right? Oh, that's a good point. I didn't didn't notice that as a bow tie, but yes. But no, I look good. I liked it. Yeah, nice jacket. And looks then, like it's leather or something or suede, and then it's got all this piping and stuff. Right, but uh, Sulu aged quite a bit. Right. Yes. I mean, because in Star Trek Six, he doesn't have that much gray in his temples, does he? Uh, Star Trek Six? Uh, no, no, I don't think he does. But do so, we know how how much further into the future this is? We don't. We don't. Yeah, it could be even further. Right. All yeah. all we know is that it's sometime after Star Trek Generations. Right. Yeah. So cool. Anyways. Yeah, and on the cover, when I was first looking at the cover briefly, I, I, I must say I wasn't focusing on it too much, I thought it was Spock, not Sulu, that uh, Kang had, was about to kill. Oh, really? And then it wasn't until I actually started cracking it open and reading the thing, I was like, oh, that's Sulu. Oh, hmm. oh so you didn't read the cover where it says Kang and Sulu, no, I didn't. to the death. No. <laughs> no, this is when I was just opening it up and... Glomming off the detail, you know, the right. like, what's the date? What's the issue number? You know, that sure. kind of stuff. Right. No, and, and I was looked at the cover and I'm like, okay, this is some sort of time travel where there's going to be four different Kirks from different eras. Interesting. You know, A was, multi-dimensional overlap? Yeah, I, I, was, I was getting kind of excited. No, but no. So I did notice something on the cover that I had not noticed before. Um it is a different Star Trek logo than than what I'm. I, I think I've ever seen before. The A, the A and star points out further than the rest of the letters. Uh, this is the cover of issue eight, or yeah, issue eight. Okay. Uh, have you ever noticed that before? I no, I don't know exactly what you're talking about. Quite frankly, I thought well, you usually like the Star Trek. You know, the top of all the letters is, forms a perfect Oh, line. that's what you're talking about? Yeah. But here, the A comes up into a, a point that's taller. That's than higher all the, than all the rest of the letters. Yeah. Okay. Now I know what you're talking about. Now, um, interesting and, point. And interesting I, I just point. pulled up Star Trek number one, or Star Trek Unlimited number one, and it does the same thing. So, 
And 7 does the same thing, but not as high. I do agree. The A is higher than all the rest of the letters on issue 7 also, but not as much as 8. That's kind of up there. So I just, uh, I think. that's the first time I've ever noticed it. Well, maybe it's about the same, but maybe it's the colors involved. I guess it's about as much as the other. Yeah, yeah. Okay, a gratuitous excuse to have Kirk in different outfits on the cover. Right, indeed. Totally gratuitous. But And that's all, all right. I have to say about that one. I mean, uh, we've already talked about the idea of the bumpy-headed Kang, so yeah, no reason to redo that. Probably not. No. All right, then. I guess we can wrap up this issue. Cool, cool. Go eat some of that Halloween candy that our kids got for us last night. Uh, well, my kids uh, don't go trick-or-treating anymore, but we do have a little bit of candy left over from the trick-or-treaters. There you go. So I will be diving into, hopefully, some leftover Reese's Cups. And everybody listening to this, go go enjoy uh, some some Christmas dinner. Exactly. And a ha- ha- Happy New Year, too. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So we'll be back next week with uh, Star Trek. Starfleet Academy 13 through 15. Ah. Our second to last Star Trek Starfleet Academy issue. There you episode. go. Attack of the Parents. Is that what it is? Yeah, it's like Parent Visitation Day or something. You've already read ahead. Oh, I haven't read it. I just looked at it. Cool. Attack of the Parents. Uh... So I guess they're going for something a little lighter after uh... the Broken Back, the... Uh... Telepathy War. Telepathy Wars. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's been some dark issues. Exactly. Let's go a little light. Let's, let's do a little bit of Star Trek Four kind of thing. It's a oh, little yeah. humor. After the high body counts. All right. Well, then uh, let's go ahead and close off, Ken, and, and we'll be back next week. Sounds good. Thanks for joining us, everybody, on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music stories and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name stcomic. Second name, book review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.